a lot of our communication. In fact, I would argue most of our communication is spontaneous. It's not the planned, prepared types of talks. It's what happens in the moment. Somebody asks you a question. Somebody asks for feedback. You make a mistake. You have to fix it. You're, you're at a social gathering and you have to make small talk. So my, the focus of my work has evolved over time to, to move from speaking in a planned way, which is still very important, but to becoming more comfortable and confident and compelling in what I call spontaneous speaking situations. And for anyone who's creative, this is critical. How do you pitch your idea? How do you convey what it is you're trying to capture? How do you share the experience that you've created for the people that you're speaking to? You do that through communication, and often that communication is spontaneous. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the show. That nugget of wisdom was from Matt Abrahams. Matt is a lecturer at Stanford's School of Business, specifically around strategic communication. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to have Matt on the show is because I believe that communicating ideas is ultra, ultra valuable in every walk of life. And I think we're undersold on how important it truly is. Most people think that whether you're putting art out into the world or business, that great ideas just catch fire. But the reality is that's not how it works. We have to be able to communicate our ideas. Our thoughts, our, our work cannot always stand on its own. And you've had this experience, right, with your own work. Well, that is a, an area of specialization for Matt, but also the ability to do so spontaneously, to imagine give a great toast or to be able to present an idea when your boss throws your curveball or a client asks a tough question. These forms of communication I find to be super valuable and really not talked about that much in culture. Now enter Matt Abrahams. Again, not only is he a Stanford professor, but he is a great speaker. He's got a podcast that we talk about in the show that I highly recommend and a new book. He's coached all kinds of the best speakers in the world from Nobel Prize folks to TED Talks, World Economic Forum presentations, and everything in between. I know you're going to love this show. It's packed with super valuable information. If you can take notes for today during today's episode, great. If not, you're going to want to bookmark it because there's a lot of very practical applications of how to communicate well. Again, yours truly and Matt Abrahams. Enjoy the show. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being a guest. Awesome to be here, Chase. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. Well, one of the things that happens, whether we like it or not in podcast land, is you and I have a few minutes to chat before we start recording. And one of the things that came up before we did so was the value in being able to communicate very clearly and effectively. We all know that as, as artists, as entrepreneurs, as you know, the audience for the show, uh, so with that backdrop in mind, I'm wondering if you can orient our audience this morning a little bit about you and your work and why this, this, you know, this, the communication is central to what you talk about and in your studies and in the books you publish, the podcast that you host, uh, and why that's going to matter to our listeners. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I, I believe fundamentally communication underlies all of our success. Uh, anything we do, we often have to create, uh, create it first and then communicate it second. And we need to think about deliberately how we best communicate. In my many, many years of doing this work, I helped people in a very prepared, planned way to communicate. And then I began to notice that a lot of our communication, in fact, I would argue most of our communication is spontaneous. It's not the planned, prepared types of talks. It's what happens in the moment. Somebody asks you a question. Somebody asks for feedback. You make a mistake. You have to fix it. You're, you're at a social gathering and you have to make small talk. So my, the focus of my work has evolved over time to, to move from speaking in a planned way, which is still very important, but to becoming more comfortable and confident and compelling in what I call spontaneous speaking situations. And for anyone who's creative, this is critical. How do you pitch your idea? How do you convey what it is you're trying to capture? How do you share the experience that you've created for the people that you're speaking to? You do that through communication and often that communication is spontaneous. See, I love that you are aware. <laughs> As Most people out there in the world think that 
that creators, that entrepreneurs, that they 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 create work, they put it out there in the world, and the work, the work, the 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 creative act does all of the work in promoting itself. And you know, if you know uh, anything, you scratch just beyond the surface one finds out that that is, as you pointed out in your introduction, it's not the case, right? We all need to communicate our ideas and the ability to communicate is directly correlated with that work, whatever yeah. we've created, that it's, it's ability to even find an initial toehold in the world. So I understand that you work with creators, with mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, yeah. and you know, having read your book, you've got case studies that, that span you know, all sorts of different industries and disciplines. Um, how did you get interested in this topic fundamentally and what made you want to go deep? Well, when it comes to spontaneous speaking, it's actually the confluence of three different streams that, that led to this. Uh, first and foremost, uh, you might have noticed my last name starts with A.B. All through growing up, from elementary school all through high school, I knew when I would be speaking in class and I always knew where my seat was. <laughs> I always was sitting first front. Only twice in my life, Chase, has anybody ever come before me. And that was somebody with the name Abby and somebody with the name Abbott. So my whole life, I've been spontaneous speaking. You know, when the teacher would say, tell me what you did that summer, I was the one who had to go first. So I've always been keenly aware of what it feels like to be put on the spot. Mm -hmm. I teach at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. I've been there for almost 13 years now. I teach strategic communication. And about seven years ago, the deans of the business school came to me and said, can you help us solve this problem? Many of our MBA students, some of the best and brightest business minds in the world were struggling when the evil mean teacher would say, what do you think? I'm sure Chase, you remember cold calls, right? And, yeah. and so the, our students would freeze up even though they knew the answer. So the deans asked me, can you help? And that's what really got me fundamentally interested in the academic side of spontaneous speaking. And paired with that over time through friendships I've made and co-teaching that I've done with people who study improvisation, I began to realize that there's a, a match between improv and communication, which is really about spontaneity. I've taught for many years with a, my colleague, Adam Tobin, a, a class where we blend improv and communication. And it's really those three ideas that got me to where I am today with a methodology that can help people feel more comfortable and confident speaking in the moment. Let's talk about this thing called charisma. Okay. Most, most people, I think, erroneously believe that charisma is this naturally born automatic uh, thing for some and something that others will not have. Mm -hmm. But Again, you, you just scratch one layer beneath the surface. And while that may come easy for some people based on personality or their, probably the, you know, their environment growing up, but these, the, the ability to communicate clearly, to be funny, the ability to, um, to tell a story, mm -hmm. to capture someone's attention, those are learnable skills. I would love, and you, you, you referenced in your last answer, methodology. Yeah. So right now there's someone who's listening to this saying, I would love to be able to pitch my idea. Bill. I'd right. love to be able to communicate more clearly to cat, to hold the attention of the boardroom in an MBA, as you mentioned situation. Um, so orient us around this methodology that you've been working on for some time there at Stanford. Sure. So, so I, I hear two questions in that first is charisma and charisma is one of these ethereal things. That's really hard to pin down. Uh, it's like that, the definition of pornography, you know, it when you see it, same thing with charisma, yep. it, it's really hard to land. What is it? it it's a combination. Uh, I, I would say some key ingredients to charisma involve immediacy, being present, being listening and engaging with somebody. It's about really focusing and targeting a message to make it relevant. And it's about having a passion and an energy that's conveyed along with a little dash of warmth. Those to me are the key central ingredients, but along those lines, which by the way, I think all of those can be learned and practiced, yeah. but you have to also have a relevant, engaging message to say, right? So it's not only your demeanor, it's also the message. And that's where this methodology comes in. And at the highest level, the six steps can be broken down into mindset and messaging. So first and foremost, we need to work on our anxiety. Most people get nervous in high stakes communication situations, regardless of if it's planned or spontaneous. 
it's a little more intense when it's spontaneous. The planning and the practicing can help reduce it a little bit. So I talk about and have for decades helped people work on how to manage anxiety around speaking. My first book was called Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, and it's really to help people there. Once we've done that, we have to do some more mindset work. We have to see these as opportunities, not as threats. We have to get out of our own way. The biggest inhibitor to our communicating well spontaneously is ourselves. We, we judge, we evaluate, we get in the way. We have to listen well. That's a mindset. There's this notion of having a listening mindset. So if we can do those things, start to manage anxiety, get out of our own way, see these situations as opportunities and listen and be very present, that sets us up for the second part of the methodology, which is really around messaging. And I am a huge, huge believer in structure. Many people who are creative, many entrepreneurs, when you use the word structure, they see it as a bad word. They see it as something that confines you. I actually think, and there are many people who believe this, that structure sets you free. It gives you the opportunity to play. And I'm happy to share more about my thoughts on that. But having a structure can help. I'll give you a very simple structure for anybody who needs to explain what it is they've done. It's three questions. What? So what? Now what? If you're explaining an artwork you've created, if you're explaining the business you've just founded, what is it? That's the what. Your idea, your belief, your artwork, your service. The so what, why is it important and relevant to the person you're talking to? We know if you make something relevant, they'll pay attention and listen and remember. And then the now what is what comes next. Let me show it to you. Would you please consider investing? What questions do you have? So simply by answering what, so what, and now what, you actually have a structure from which and through which you can be more creative. And then the last step is to be focused. Many of us, when we communicate spontaneously, ramble on and on. And I fear this answer is, is unfortunately an example of that, but <laughs> no, but, no. But the point is we have to be, I, I call it the F word of spontaneous speaking. We have to be focused because many of us ramble on and on as we're discovering what we want to say as we say it. But if we have a structure and a proper mindset, we can be much more focused. So charisma is ethereal, but there's some key elements. And then there's a logical structure around mindset and message that can help you communicate better in the moment. This is what I, these are largely the um, signals that I took from your latest book, Mm -hmm. Think Faster, Talk Smarter. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about the podcast, but before we do, let's go back to Again, and this is really well, speaking of structure, very, very clearly laid out in the book. And as someone who is, um, I think I fit that definition of I learned early on in my career. And I've written about this in my last book, Creative Calling. This, I originally thought that structure was a product of the man and there to keep me down. Right. And the irony is that when I put some structure around my life and my thinking and some of my projects, it actually did create a bunch more freedom. And this sort of this handshake between um, being able to have a creative mindset and do the work that I wanted to do and have some structure around it, it, it I felt like it supercharged my work. And I wished I'd realized <laughs> this years earlier. Right. But I do want to focus... Uh, uh, Initially on the anxiety piece, sure, because we are our biggest obstacle, right? Yeah. As if I had thought back to my own sort of jumbles, early speeches that I gave or um, media opportunities when someone asked me a question that I wasn't expecting or didn't practice and I was just a mouthful of marbles. <laughs> um, how do we get out of our own way? What are some of the, you know, how, if, if someone here is, comes to you and said, hey, I, I I mean, I need some coaching, right? Like I can't get out of my own way. I'm always judging my own performance in real time, which, you know, say I'm as, as you articulate in the book, even if I think there was a a director was, uh, you know, giving a speech about his own movies and couldn't actually articulate anything about them because he was so stuck on not remembering the script or I think the yeah, teleprompter, yeah, the teleprompter was teleprompter, yeah, it was Michael Bay. He, he yeah, exactly. He, he notoriously had a, had a, a moment where the teleprompter didn't work and he, he just couldn't manage through it. So this is a, I mean, Michael Bay is probably a listener to the show. So <laughs> there we let's, go. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's not rub it in. <laughs> right. Let's not rub it in. Let's not make it more anxious. But I do believe, uh, that, you know, getting over anxiety, yeah. 
is fundamental. And yet requesting that someone who's listening just get over their anxiety is not really a valuable right. you know, request. So help those who are listening. Happy to. Who yeah, help help us. So so let me share a few things first to, to level set. Most people feel anxious in high stakes communication situations, planned or spontaneous. Uh, upwards of 75% of people report it is their number one fear. So you're not alone. A lot of us feel very isolated because we see people like you, Chase, very articulate. We, we, we watch uh, executives, we see TED Talks, and we say, gosh, those people are so amazing. Most of them have had coaching and most of them have worked very hard to get there. So there's this, this false impression that it's easy for, for most people, and it's not. It's very difficult. When it comes to managing anxiety, you have to take a two-pronged approach. You have to manage both symptoms and sources. So the symptoms are the things that you physiologically experience. Some of us feel our heart rate pounding. Some of us start speaking quickly. Some of us blush and turn red. These are normal and natural responses. Your body is in fight or flight. And I'm happy if you wish to talk about why academics like myself who study this think that we're under threat. But your body is treating speaking in public as if you're under threat. So we have to deal with those sources or symptoms. And then we also have to think about sources. Sources are the things that initiate and exacerbate our anxiety. So if you don't mind, I'll give you a couple examples of each that could help people. Sound all right? Bring so it on. The, by, the biggest thing you can do to manage symptomatic expressions of your anxiety is deep breathing, deep belly breaths, the kind you would do if you've ever done yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong, these deep lower abdomen breaths. And for decades, Chase, I've been telling people, just take deep breaths. It'll help you. Uh, on my podcast, I was fortunate enough to interview Andrew Huberman. You might have heard of him. He's, oh, yeah, he's, of course. He's, Huberman Lab. Big uh, he's yep. big into breath work. And he shared with me something that just totally flipped my, my idea about it. He said, it's not the inhalation that matters. It's the exhale. It is during the exhale that the magic happens. And so it's really important for us to follow a simple rule. Just make your exhale twice as long as your inhale. So if you take a three count in, take a six count out. And all you have to do is do that for two or three times, and it will help reduce the autonomic nervous system's firing that brings that fight or flight. If you're somebody who gets shaky when you get nervous, that's adrenaline. Adrenaline's job is to move you from threat towards safety. So in your communication, be it virtual or in person, add movement that's purposeful, not random. So if you're standing in front of a room speaking, take a step in in a big welcoming gesture. That gives that adrenaline a place to go. If you're virtual, lean in, move in, gesture. This gives that adrenaline a place to go. You'll stop shaking. If you turn red, and I know you have a vested interest in this. There's somebody you know who's curious I, about this. <laughs> I turn red too. Uh, when you get nervous, your body tenses up. Your, your heart starts beating faster. So you're pumping more blood through tighter tubes. This means your blood pressure goes up. It's like you're exercising. Most of us, when we exercise, we turn red, we sweat. That's because we're getting hotter. So we have to cool ourselves down. Single best thing you can do, hold something cold in the palms of your hand. The palms of our hands are thermoregulators for our body. If you've ever had a fever and put a cold compress on your forehead and it's reduced your temperature, palms of your hand do the same thing. In fact, I bet many of your listeners today, if it was a cold morning, drank cold tea, uh, I'm sorry, warm tea or coffee, held it in their hands and felt warm as a result of holding the, the, the cup. Just do it in reverse. Hold something cold. Before I got on our call today, I was holding a cold bottle of water because I get excited. I get a little nervous about doing these things. Hopefully, I'm not blushing in front of you right now as a result of that. So, <laughs> so these are things we can do, Chase, to manage symptoms. Allow me just one more moment to talk about sources. Sources are the things that initiate and exacerbate anxiety. Many of us are made nervous by worrying about the future consequences of our action. We all have goals when we communicate. If you're an entrepreneur, you might want funding. If you're a creative person, you might want support for your endeavor. And we're worried like, oh my goodness, what will happen if I don't get that support or I don't get that funding? So what's making us nervous is we're worried about a future, potential future consequence. How do we short circuit that? Get present oriented. If you're in the present moment, by definition, you're not worried about the future. I'll be very curious, Chase, things you do to get present oriented. But for me, things I do is I'll do something physical. I'll take a walk around the building. I went for a run this morning before this call. Uh, you can talk to people 
uh, in an audience, get to know them. We did that before we came on live. And that's a way of getting present oriented. Uh, do, do what athletes do. Listen to a song or a playlist or start at 100 and count backwards by a difficult number like 17s. In order to do that, you have to be present oriented. So the bottom line is this. There are things you can do to manage symptoms and there are things you can do to manage sources. And if you do those things, you can reduce your anxiety and feel more confident when you speak. Mini lecture this, over. No, this is this is brilliant. And one of the things that I pride our our show on yeah. being is taking these really esoteric concepts and putting some structure yeah. around it, some actual feedback, some things that that listeners can put into practice immediately. And people think that's that's very difficult with things that are abstract like creativity yeah, for example yeah. but if you start to peel back the layers it's not dissimilar from communication right communication is this ambiguous thing and if you look at people who are great in the in the book you use examples like Steve Jobs for example yeah. or Michelle Obama yeah. both of whom I've seen speak in person and it's very captivating and having done things with Apple on the Apple stage in Cupertino yeah. you start to understand how much practice goes in to that quarterly uh, media presentation that they do, it's hundreds of hours. Mm -hmm. The speeches is, are, are meticulously uh, prepared right. and tweaked and managed. And as you've you know, articulated earlier, these, these are professional speakers. And we all want, what is it? We, we want to come across as effortlessly brilliant. Yeah, but the reality, but the reality of we take our cues from people who are brilliant, but they've put in, uh, in many cases, a lifetime of work. So I, just even putting this to light, yeah. as you have in your book, is helpful. And if we shift gears, and, and as you've just given us some some tactics there, but we want to know what we can do about it. So yeah. let's let's go one level deeper on some of the advice that you gave us around reducing anxiety. Let's say in the case of we, I do have a friend who asked, I, yeah. I shared that we were going to record this morning and she asked me, she's like, oh gosh, here's, here's my question yeah. for your guest. And she said, would you ask Matt about turning red? Because you know, I blush. Yeah. And so from a practical perspective, yeah. as you talked about that as managing a symptom, okay, holding a cold compress, yeah. is that a thing that you can get when you are able to have a you know something cold yeah, in yeah. your hand, you can then train your body through yeah. that particular mechanism, and then not you know and getting present and doing some of these other um, I'll say hacks, but sure. no. these are just pra practices. Is that a thing that you can reduce in the long term? Mm -hmm. The physiological turning red is that if you can start to manage your breath. Yeah. manage your temperature yeah. through teaching your body and then yeah. um, being present. Is that something that can make that what is perceived by this person who's asking the question as a negative yes. uh, experience? Can that, can we lessen, reduce, and even remove that? Absolutely. So the more comfortable we get with anxiety and the management techniques I've talked about and many others that, that exist, we can actually get to a point where we don't have those manifestations as much. So part of it is practice, is giving yourself experiences that let you practice so that it becomes more comfortable doing and executing these anxiety management techniques. All of my students in any class I teach, any workshop I do, any keynote, I encourage people to create what I call an anxiety management plan, an AMP, because I believe anxiety can actually amp you up and help you. And that is again a mindset shift so if you can begin to practice some of these techniques over time it becomes less worrisome and less bothersome you know i like to use the example of somebody learning to play a musical instrument or an athlete learning a sport how do you get better at it you do a lot of repetition you do a lot of drills and as you do that repetition and drills you get more comfortable and you get more agile at doing it and the same is true with communication the challenge is when we play sports or play music, there's an inherent enjoyment out of it. Many of us dread having to speak or dread communicating. So the, the incentive to practice is, is harder to overcome. It's harder to manage, right? Then, hey, if I play this music, it's fun. I enjoy it. My friends, right? So, so we have to push ourselves a bit harder, but the same mechanism, repetition, reflection, feedback, 
that all helps you become more comfortable and confident. So you blush less. I blush less now than I used to when I used to speak. So it, it comes with practice. It comes with challenging yourself and, and just baking it into the way you, you are when you communicate. Well, let's talk more about the F word as you use <laughs> in, in your lingo for the book. Yeah. That f- being focused. Yeah. Now, I think that that is another one of those terms that, you know, I've had coaches. I yeah. used to, you know, do, do athletics at a high level. Yeah. And I can remember coaches saying focus, but just having someone <laughs> tell you to focus is like someone yelling to calm down, calm down, you know, <laughs> that doesn't work like, for you. <laughs> exactly. But it's just, but, and so, you know, this, I understand the concept of focus, right? We want to deliver a very clear, concise message. Yeah. And most messages that are clear and concise have been rehearsed, not yeah. dissimilar to the examples I've given earlier, just a moment ago about yeah. professional speakers and they have speech writing teams and yeah. they just hone like literally every word. It doesn't look like that. So how do we, especially spontaneously, how do we focus our communication? What, is this another one of those, um, things that we just have to rehearse because the list of things were, yeah, it's getting long practice. It's getting long. Yeah. So help us. I think anything that's challenging has many angles and aspects to it. So we, one of the, the, unfortunate situations with communication is we've all been doing it since we were around one. So we feel like we should be good at it or it should be natural and normal for us. And there's a difference between casual conversation and, and formal presenting and, and even informal trying to get your points across. And, and those get conflated. And so some of us feel very down on ourselves, like I should be able to do this. You need to work at things that you want to get good at. And, and communication is one of those. So when it comes to focus, the, the biggest mistake people make in their communication is they start from the wrong place. They start by thinking about what do I want to say? What is, it, what is it I want to get across? And that's the wrong place to start. You need to think about what does my audience need to hear, which begs the question, what's relevant and salient for them? So the first way to make things focused is to put yourself in your audience's perspective. It's about being audience centric because If you can understand what's important to them, you can focus on that. And when you focus on that, you make it more relevant and you can use fewer words. So the first thing is being audience centric. The second thing that helps is to talk about structure again. Structure by definition helps you be more concise and clear. Growing up, my mother used to impart this to to my brother and me. And I know she didn't create the saying, but it's one that I really hear my echoes in my head every time I speak. And it's simply tell the time don't build the clock. Many of us are clock builders when we communicate. We feel like we have to explain every detail about how we got here. Artists, entrepreneurs, it's very common to explain, here was my motivation and here's the, and and that's great information, but it might not be the first information you give. Get people excited about what you're doing and then have an opportunity or take the opportunity to go deeper. So really taking the time to focus on your audience, remind yourself that that being concise is important and leveraging a structure. Let me share an example of a structure. I gave you what, so what, now what earlier. Anybody pitching who wants to pitch an idea in the shortest amount of time, I want you to answer or finish these four sentence starters. Mm -hmm. What if you could so that, for example, and that's not all. So imagine I was, Chase, you said, hey, tell me about your podcast. You've got this podcast. What's your podcast about? Tell me. So here's my pitch using those sentence starters. What if you could learn important, valuable, immediately useful communication skills so that you could improve how you come across in any situation, be it a pitch, a presentation, a conversation? For example, you'll learn skills about how to manage anxiety as well as how to be engaging. And that's not all. You'll hear from industry-leading experts and Stanford professors to learn the latest and greatest communication tools. Do you see how just answering those four prompts, what if you could, so that, for example, and that's not all, you have a concise, clear pitch. So it's about focusing on your audience, what's important to them. It's about reminding yourself, I got to be tight in what I say, and it's about leveraging structure. If you do that, 
you can be more clear, concise, and you can avoid or you can achieve the F word, which is focus. <laughs> I love it. The structure, your your the answers have an amazing structure to them as well. It's clear that you're a professional. <laughs> um, I, I'm leveraging a structure, by the way. When I answer my questions, I am I am absolutely following a structure in my yeah, mind. I, yes. I, I, I see it. It's yeah. beautiful. Um all right, I'm going to shift gears now. I want to, I want to, I would say even dramatically shift gears because let's go to, let's get the, let's, let's, we're going to go on the inside here. We're going to go behind the curtain Uh oh. and we're going to say like, okay, there's all this structure. Yeah. I, 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 I am adopting these techniques. I mean, especially that last one that, you know, f- answering these four questions is a, the tightest way that you could possibly pitch an idea. Yes. But let's, we're at a mixer now. Uh-huh. We're, we are, <laughs> um, we're, there's a, a networking event or we're getting together with a bunch of other artists and notoriously artists are not that great at communicating about their ideas. And, you know, you're standing at the bar next to someone and let's just be real. How, what a large part of our culture mm-hmm. is occupied by small talk yes and you know the saying goes people get tired of small talk or i i don't i no longer do small talk so i don't go out and we also know that not going out not socializing and i like to use the c word community yes like building community is really helpful for spreading ideas for connecting with others and on a human level we are social animals whether we like it or not and you could you know, classify yourself as an introvert or an extrovert. And and that doesn't matter. And all of that can be true. And there's still a bunch of small talk and you have articulated a way for us to think about it such that we can be successful there, even if it's something we dread or how we can decide through a mindset shift to, to embrace the, what, what, maybe even I'll say some of the benefits of small talk or how can we get good at it such that we can break through and actually have deeper, more meaningful conversations and connect with other people around our work, our lives, our humanity, whatever. Help us. What's the big thing on small talk? So first and foremost, I 100% agree with you, Chase, that it is small talk is actually very helpful. It's very instructive. It's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to connect, to collaborate, to learn, Again, it's a reframe. Many of us see it as arduous and and difficult, and we make it more difficult for ourselves. So let me make some suggestions. Uh, First, we feel a great pressure in small talk to to have something important and witty to say. In many ways, we have a, a mental model of small talk as playing a tennis match where I lob something over at you and I want it to hit really well. And it's less about you serving it back to me. It's more about me hitting the spot. I would rather people replace that that analogy with one of hacky sack. You remember the game hacky sack where you all stand in a circle and the goal is just to keep the ball up and y'all your job is just to keep it going from one person to the next. And if you go into small talk thinking, hey, my job here is just to keep the conversation going rather than giving some glowing, really important piece of information, then it can you can help. Um, it's it's really important that you focus on the other person. Asking questions is a great way to engage in small talk. So the what, so what, now what structure I mentioned a while back, you can actually just literally leverage those questions. So if you and I found ourselves (laughs) at a networking event, I can come up to you and I could just say, hey, Chase, what brings you here? That's the what. You could answer, hey, I I like these people or this artist is really one. I say, oh, so so what is it you find interesting in the artwork of the, and that's my so what, and you answer the question. And then I can say, oh, so are you going to see the artwork elsewhere? Have you considered looking at this other artist who's similar? So all of a sudden, all I'm doing is asking you what, so what, now what? They're open questions. They're inviting. Gives you a free, easy way to talk. And I might learn something about you. I might learn you and I like exactly the same kind of art. And we have a connection. And then all of a sudden, maybe we can collaborate on something. So small talk through using questions can be really, really helpful. So envisioning it as a hacky sack where all of us are involved, my whole goal is just to keep it going. It's not to say something wonderfully amazing. And then second, it's really about setting up conversation by asking open questions. Those are those are key ingredients that can help you be very successful in the moment. There is a part in the book that I'm remembering. Um, 
I'll try and find a page number yeah. while you're while you're articulating your point here. Yeah. That the similar levels of disclosure. Yes. Like you're like, oh, you're talking. You're, you know, we're we're at uh, I don't know an art opening yeah. or something, and you're making small talk with someone about this piece that you're in front of, and then someone else in the middle of that. Uh, you know, you're talking your you're small talk about the the show opening or the artist or the painting before you and you're the person you're talking to says something that is, you know, I have cancer. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. For example. And, and I'm trying to think of an extreme example. Yeah. And how ought we think about that from both sides of the <laughs> right. equation? Like as the sharer of right. that information, when we clearly are in a tough place and we, right. we, are looking for something meaningful to bond over, but what we're really there to talk about, or we're at an art opening, right? Right. You know, we're at a photography show. Yeah. So, and then, so if you're that person who's sharing and seeking to connect on a deeper yeah. level, because yeah. small talk's not your thing. So I want to hear about it from that angle. And then from the other angle, if you're the receiver of this yeah. information, how, what are some ways to, to and, I, and I'm trying to set up a situation which is a little extreme, right. but that is actually practical because, yes. you know, these are social situations that if you can navigate them elegantly, I think both help you, yeah. you know, understand that, that you can perform well spont spontaneously on your feet. And these are good tools to have for right. social convention. Absolutely. And so what's underlying your question is, is this notion of mutual disclosure. So in revealing information about ourselves, there's an expectation that people will do two things. One, share information that is equivalent in nature. And two, as a conversation progresses, there tends to be a tendency to get deeper disclosure. What you've just described is where somebody sort of jumps ahead of the line, right? Goes, goes deep quickly, right? And Sometimes that can happen for, for myriad reasons. If somebody has a medical diagnosis and it's really present in their mind, they, that might be what's front and center and that's what they're going to share. It might give them a sense of uh, relief that they have some secret here or something that's influencing their behavior and they just want to get it out so people know. So there, there are many reasons that people might over-disclose. If you're in that situation and you receive it, I think first and foremost, you need to acknowledge it. To ignore it is, is just rude, I think, and, and awkward. So you can acknowledge it in a couple ways. You could express gratitude. You could say, thanks for feeling comfortable sharing that with me. Uh, if it's something negative, you could express concern. I'm sorry to hear that. I, I hope you're under proper treatment. Uh, and then fundamental to all small talk are two choices you have in response. Academics call them supporting or shifting responses. A supporting response is a response that asks people to go deeper. A shifting response is a response that changes the topic. Let me give a more generic example so people can understand, and then we'll come back to your situation. Let's imagine, Chase, you and I are talking, and you say, hey, Matt, I'm super excited. I just got back from my trip to Hawaii and had a great time. I could have a supporting response and I could say, oh, that's so cool. What islands did you visit? What did you do that made you so excited? Or I could do a shifting response and said, oh, that's cool. I just got back from Costa Rica and we had a great time too. Do you see how one takes the attention away from you, brings it to me, the other encourages you to go deeper? It turns out when people study this, what is deemed effective or good small talk is to have slightly more supporting responses than shifting responses. So think of it as two thirds to three quarters of your responses should be supportive and one third to a quarter should be shifting. And that's what makes for good conversation. We don't want to always make it about ourselves. So we don't always want to be shifting back to ourselves, but we also don't want to always deflect and just do supporting responses. So we never share anything about ourselves. We need to find that balance. And part of that's what we're comfortable with and what we think the other person would like. So going back to your situation, I think the immediate response needs to be supporting. And maybe a couple responses after that need to be supporting before you would shift away. You know, if somebody says, oh, I've got cancer and it's awful. And you say, oh, my mother, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, <laughs> what is that? Right. So being supportive and then shifting. So going in again with some guidelines, these are structures. These are rules that can help you. They're flexible rules. But you're not at a loss. You know, I, I love to use this example of jazz music or improvisation. 
people hear jazz or people see people do improv and they think, oh, they're just free form. They're just doing whatever they want. They're not. They're following very, very defined rules. In improv, there's a rule. Yes, and. I know if you and I are doing a, an improv skit, you are always going to accept what I say. I'm going to say, hey, grandma, and you're going to become grandma. You're not going to say, I'm grandpa. No. Uh, jazz musicians, they play certain melodies and certain chord progressions. So going into small talk, even if you have a very extreme example, like you said, by following some of these rules, support, then shift, validate express gratitude and concern that helps you get through these tough situations. There is, you know, as I was peeling back the layers of your work, I became more aware that there are, um, so many of these things in our culture mm -hmm. that I go back to this concept of effortless brilliance. We yeah. all want to appear to not have tried and be brilliant at whatever it is that we do. And I'm trying to shift that for myself. I want to, you know, I'm fine disclosing that this is something I've worked on, sure. whether this is my photography or writing a book or, or whatever. And, and yet there's still something very seductive. And one of the things that uh, made me want to ask uh, you about this, this particular question is I would love to be effortlessly brilliant at the wedding that I'm going to attend this weekend uh -huh. where I will, or I will need to, toast uh -huh. the bride and the groom and there is a section in your book yeah again the book's title is think faster talk smarter uh advise me pretend i haven't read the book <laughs> and for the benefit of our listeners yes i'm gonna have to give a toast to tyson and aubrey uh this weekend well first congratulations to tyson and aubrey that's fantastic um and, and so I end every quarter when I teach at the business school, I teach the same class twice a quarter, every quarter on strategic communication. The very last activity my students do is give a toast, giving a toast or a tribute is the most frequent public speaking event that most people do. If you're not an entrepreneur, if you're not a performer, you're not an artist, most of us give toasts and tributes much more frequently. So again, I believe first it has to do with mindset. A toast or a tribute is a gift you are giving. And if you think of it as a gift, what makes for a good gift? Well, it's appropriate for the person. It's, it's packaged nicely. It's something that they can determine right away and quickly why it's important and relevant to them. So your, your toasts have to be the same. We have all witnessed awful toasts. The very first thing I ask my students before we do the toasting activity is I is say, Give me an example. What's happened that's made toasts go bad? And I see you. I mean, what what, what have you seen, seen happen when toasts go bad? What what are some things you've noticed? What what have you had happen? They are so long. <laughs> exactly. No no one in the room has any idea what this person's talking about. Right. I mean, I I've been to some that are worthy of a like something you'd see in like a hangover. Movie. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, just yeah. like. Right. So, so bad and where people are literally if at some point we're like, you know, literally not even kidding 20 minutes. Into oh, this my thing. goodness. People, people are leaving. There was a nice tented, <laughs> all these people sitting down dining. People are leaving. Yeah. People are like, just it's just yeah. and it's getting it's or, awkward. And they're saying really, uh, you know, not, not necessarily kind thing. Right, right. It becomes it, a roast, not a toast or it becomes yes. more about the person giving the toast than the person. Oh. To right. We've all seen I'm that. So with this right now, I'm, it's making me. Anxious. I know. I'm seeing. No, I'm seeing. I, 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 so people might not be able to see, but I mean, clearly, you're having a visceral reaction to this. Yeah, it's, oh. it can be awful. So let me help. First and foremost, <laughs> okay. avoid any supplementation before you do it. Right. So some people say, I'm gonna, I'll have a swig of something, and it's gonna be. No, no, don't do that. Bad call. I have a structure. You, I, again, I sound like a broken record for those of your listeners who remember what records were uh, repeating the same thing, but structure can help. And I have a four-step structure to giving a good toast. And the structure is simple. It's the word what, W-H-A-T. Okay. The first part of the toast is why are we here? So when you start the toast, explain why we're here. Now, sometimes you can go into this in detail. Sometimes you don't need to. If I'm a product manager and we're at a product team meeting, and everybody knows that. I don't have to say, and we're here at the product team meeting. But you might, for this wedding where you're speaking, you might you might give some context. You, you might say, you know, after five years, it is so wonderful to finally come together to celebrate the, right? So you might give some context there. So that's, that's the why are we here. Um, the next part is 
you have to explain how you are connected to the event. Again, if you're the product manager at a product team release where you're giving a toast or a tribute to the team, you don't have to say, I'm the product manager. Everybody knows that. But it, the wedding you're giving, people might not know how you're connected to the bride or the groom. So it's important to say, I've known the groom for 20 years. So you, you first accept the context. That's the, why are we here? Then, then how are you connected? Then give one or two short, relevant, easily accessible anecdotes. That's what the A stands for, an anecdote or two. Not too many, but one or two that really represent something meaningful. And then finally, there's some kind of thanks, tribute, or toast at the end. That's what the T stands for. So you might say cheers. You might say, everybody raise a glass and wish this couple success in the future. So it's, why are we here? How are you connected? Relevant, concise, clear anecdotes, and then the toast, thanks, or tribute at the end, and you're done. So that frames what you're saying. It helps, gives you a place to start and can help you then focus on the words you say rather than the flow that you have for it. So I'm hoping that that can be of help you to help to you, Chase. And, and in fact, in the book, as you uh, when you read it, you probably saw I actually spell out examples so people can see what it would yes. sound like, because yep. that can really help people have a template to use. Chandra, I think you went. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chandra. That's right. That's right. Um, I will, I confess that like, I actually really enjoy it because I do look at it as a gift yeah, and, yeah. um, and public speaking is something that I have been able to embrace over time. This is one of the reasons that your work is very seductive to me because I'm like, why do I like this? What? And of, of course, also knowing that I have lots of room to improve. Right. And so I want to take that as a little framework for, for thinking about putting ourselves into our listeners minds for a moment so there are let's just for simplification let's just say there are two groups there are people who historically do not like the fact that they have to think fast and talk smart yeah (laughs) this is the group that are going maybe in the peter Thiel example from zero to one right they are they are non they don't, they, they think of themselves as not great communicators and I don't, I don't really want to get better, but I, I know I have to. So there's two groups. There's the zero to one group. I'm going to start to learn these mm-hmm. techniques that Matt's talking about. And then there are the groups who are, they dabble or they're interested or curious, yeah. or they know they're gregarious or talkative, or they want to, you know, they stand on stages and want to say, even dare I say master. So yeah. go from say one to 10. Yeah. So let's zoom way out here for a second and say, there's these two groups that you're speaking to in order to let's, let's, what's your pitch for the zero to one crew mm-hmm. on, Hey, look, this is not only is it valuable, but it's critical mm-hmm. to you cultivating, I would not just, not the success, but fulfillment in your life, Mm -hmm. being able to communicate. What's your, what's your zero to one for people who do not hold themselves in high esteem around this, even as an area of interest, let alone of value. So let's, I would love to hear that. So orient us there. Sure. And, and I, I deal with a lot of folks like this, my students, the people I coach, the, the, the people in my, my social circles, So I believe a very powerful tool to practice what I teach and preach around making things audience relevant uh, is to to ask questions. I believe a lot in what I call time traveling language. I like Mm. to, I I can move you into the past or into the future through the words I use. So I could say, if I were coming to somebody who's dubious about the importance of communication or a little resistant, hesitant because of anxiety, I might say, think back to a time where you had something really important to get across and it didn't go well for you. How did that feel? What were some of the results of that? Or, and then I say, what if you could, so I take somebody from the past now into the future. What if you could go back and communicate effectively your point? What might've happened? So by getting people to actually take something that was very real for them, that either resulted in a negative result or a missed opportunity helps them understand all of a sudden that, hey, it would have been better had I been able to do things. And then I would make the case that 
dedicating time to working on communication can help you realize some of those benefits and things that you were looking forward to. So that opportunity could be realized. And that often I find is compelling to people because I've contextualized it in something that's important and relevant to them. And that's where I start. And then from there, you incrementally talk about things people could do and, and how it's baby steps. It's not like a light switch. You don't study communication all of a sudden become amazing. It's, it's baby steps. And if people see that that gradual nature is more inviting and more possible for them. Love it. Let's talk now about the group that they fancied themselves uh, an amateur and they would like to become an expert. Right. And or they are they are in a new job. They just become a project manager or or, sorry, a project uh, lead. And they are aware that communicating their vision and speaking in a compelling way that's going to excite and motivate and inspire others, say in a leadership position, um, or even just at the family, like how do you get your family excited about, um, you know, the, the trip that you're going to take, uh, or the responsibilities that everyone's going to share and building a household. Like there, there are people who communicate and, and how do, how would you sell them on the idea of, Let's go, let's take this to 11. Yeah. So uh, I was totally with you until you threw the family thing in, because I'm still working on that. It's a, there's, <laughs> there's a big irony that, that I teach all this stuff. And then I have two teenagers and then it's like a brick wall. Uh, so I, 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 I'm are... humbled constantly. Uh, but so I, I, another technique, just like I talked about using time traveling language for the, the folks yeah. who, who are uh, going from zero to one, I would use another technique. I would use analogy. So if I'm talking to somebody like you, who's a very gifted communicator, but still wants to up your game, I would use analogies. I would say, share with me somebody who you think is a really good communicator. What are some of the things you notice they do? What are some of the things they achieve through their communication? And by getting you to highlight that, uh, talk about things that you could do, again, perhaps using analogies like, you know, you shared that you were an athlete, you've done some athletics. Well, how did you get better? What did you do? Where did you focus? Did you have a coach? Did you do a lot of reflection? You know, so using analogies, I find help move people from or inspire people to move from where they are to where they would like to be. So I'm a big fan of using analogies and asking questions mm-hmm. to get people to share with me their own analogies. And that can mm-hmm. be really helpful. What I am envisioning as I'm thinking about the frameworks that you've shared you know, here on the show and in the book and on your podcast, yeah. frankly, we won't talk about that in a second, but the, the core thing to me is like, I'm thinking of this in two separate buckets, right? There is the professional stage, mm-hmm. either chase or listener who is, you know, they have to, you know, present to their boss at work or to their partners at the firm or, you know, or to investors or whatever. And then there's the, again, the subhead of think faster, talk smarter is how to speak successfully when you're put on the spot. And that's the improv piece. Yeah. So we, with all the structure that you've given us, and these are ways to sort of practice or that these are the things that you would organize your thoughts prior to being put in the space so that you can limit your anxiety and some of the other things that we talked about, the symptoms and the sources. Let's like, how do we really get good at this? It's sort of like, how do you get good at improv comedy? How do you, how do you get good if you can truly only practice or the best practice is when you're actually on the spot and there's stakes and there's consequences? Like, What's the framework or what's the thinking around how do we get good at that? Okay, I, I understand I can be in a right. dark room and I can study the four steps and come up You're with right. my come come up with my answer before I go to the right. trade show and have to introduce right. myself five hundred times. Like I can have a little canned thing that I rehearse yeah, and practice, yeah, yeah. but it's not quite like doing it on the spot because there are low stakes yeah. when you're by yourself looking in the bathroom mirror. Yeah. So, so let's go to the put on the spot part. Yeah. So, so much of our communication is that way. Uh, people ask us questions. People ask us for feedback. We make a mistake. We have to correct it. So a lot of our communication is what you're describing. But I would argue most communication in general is spontaneous. I mean, you, you didn't wake up this morning and script out everything you were going to say. And no. so realizing that we are already doing this and most of us get through our days pretty well doing it. So it's not this 
esoteric thing that's out there. It's we're doing it, but we can focus on it, especially when it becomes higher stakes. There are ways to practice it. So sometimes it's by practicing complementary activities. So maybe you take an improvisation class. If you join Toastmasters, and I, I'm a big proponent of Toastmasters, part of what they do in Toastmasters meetings is spontaneous speaking. They call it table topics. So there are venues you can put yourself in that get you to stretch those muscles and use them. So that's, that's one way to do it. Another way is to deliberately seek out low stakes situations where you can try things out. So for example, if you have an important job interview coming up, use generative AI. I'm still not sure where I fall on all this generative AI. I think it's got mm -hmm. valuable help, but I think it can bring some problems. But you can, mm -hmm. you can type into generative AI, you know, ChatGPT or Bard or something, and you type in, give me three interview questions for a project manager job at company X. And it's going to give you three questions. And as soon as you see one, practice answering it. Go into a meeting that is low stakes for you and practice speaking up more or giving feedback in those situations. You know, athletes to get better practice their sport in their sport. They do scrimmages. They, they, they lightly, you know, practice with other people. That's the way you do it. it, it you, you're right. You can read a book, you can learn all these frameworks, but ultimately the rubber has to meet the road at some point and you need to put yourself in situations where there are low stakes, where you can try this stuff out and then you can begin to build that confidence to do it in the higher stakes situations. Love it. Love it. And I'm a big fan of that. There's like, how do you, uh, I'll just use golf as an oh, analogy. Yeah. You can <laughs> stand there on the driving range and you can hit golf ball after golf ball on this perfect little pad yeah. of grass with a little fan blowing above <laughs> your head and, yeah. you know, and, and then you can go out on the real golf course, right? Yeah. And there's no, no, no such thing as a flat lie. Yeah. The grass is imperfect. Yeah. The wind is blowing. And when those situations arise and it's so different from what you've practiced, there's a, there's a paralysis for most. And yeah. you know, the way they re resolve that in golf is by playing a lot of actual golf. That's right. right? And this is like the low stakes yeah. um, situations yeah. that you could put yourself I, in. That's I, I, you picked bad. golf and I'm, I'm horrific at golf. All my friends say, hey, let's go play golf. It'll be great. We'll talk a lot. I never see them because I'm always in the rough and they're going straight down. <laughs> but, but I've been a martial artist for years. And my instructor, my sensei, whenever I bring up, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? He'll just, he'll just throw a punch and he'll say, did it work? You know, so at some point, you know, yeah, you just, you just have to do it, right? You can rationalize yeah. it. You can think about it, but you just have to do it at some point, but you do it in a prepared way. You don't just throw yourself in the deep end. You use yeah. the mindset shifts, you use the structures, you gradually get into it, but ultimately to get better at it, you have to do it. Yeah. That's the, right. There's you're, you're putting yourself in that situation where the stakes are low right? and you get comfortable with that. And then you elevate the stakes. Exactly. Over. Okay. That's. That's, that's helpful. Um, the last area that I am really fascinated by yeah. is creative processes in general. Yeah. So you have, again, we've been talking about your new book, yeah. Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. Yeah. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. It's been amazing. I was fortunate enough to get an early copy. Yeah. And that's part of how we're having this conversation today about your work. But you also have a popular podcast, as you mentioned earlier on the show, somewhere toward the beginning, you've had other guests, yeah. folks like Huberman and other yeah. Stanford professors. What was the process that you went through to get to the book? Because we're really, yeah. you know, we're talking about the book, but there's a whole host of yeah. research. So I'm always fascinated to understand a little bit more. Like the podcast clearly yeah. played a role and plays, yeah. a, you know, continues to play a role. Yeah. Um, just trot that out for us. So yeah. since, again, this is a podcast largely about creativity and yeah. fascinated by the process of our artists across all sorts of different disciplines, what, how did you come up with the book and how has yeah. the podcast been related? And, and then we can, uh, I'd love to have you share some coordinates for some other oh, stuff sure. on the internet where people can find you and the podcast and whatnot. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and they are all related. So I am somebody who's fundamentally very curious about and passionate about communication. And I have always looked for ways to improve my communication and help others hone and develop theirs. And uh, at Stanford's Business School, they too, uh, one of our big core tenants is innovation, disruption, et cetera. So I was approached uh, in January of 2020 to take some of the lectures and videos I had done around campus uh, and, and you know online 
And, and I was asked, hey, do you want to experiment with a podcast? Because the business school had not, never really had a podcast. In January 2020, it was, it's important that I share that, those coordinates because clearly right before the pandemic, right? Yeah. And so, months, so months, we, yeah. we released five episodes on effective communication. That's all we explore. And then the pandemic hit. And everybody realized, oh my goodness, communication has changed fundamentally. And how yeah. do we do it? And we need to learn. So we were in the right place at the right time. And that's, you know, a lot of creativity. I mean, you, as an entrepreneur, yeah, a lot of sure. success has to do with luck and serendipity. Uh, I'm not saying that the pandemic was a good thing, but the pandemic helped the pod, <laughs> a fledgling podcast on, on yeah. communication. So we, the other thing that helped us is we were very open to, to feedback. Uh, we, in fact, thought we were creating the podcast is called Think Fast, Talk Smart. You can see I'm not that creative with names. Um, and uh, we, we thought we were creating a business podcast. The market, after we would listen to people, talk to people, said, no, you're creating a careers podcast. You're helping people hone and develop their careers. So one of the things that helps, I think, in creativity is being audience focused, listening, being in the right place at the right time and adjusting and adapting. Following the success of the podcast and the fact that people were finding value, a logical next step was to codify some of the things that are talked about the podcast, especially around this notion of spontaneous speaking. Not surprising to you, I'm sure, Chase, creativity is one of the most popular topics on the podcast. We, Stanford is known for design thinking. How do you communicate creative concepts? How do you pitch? Those are some of our most popular topics. And the question of how do you do that in the moment is the most popular of our topics. So it was a natural next step to codify things I'd done, things that we'd learned on the podcast into a book. So the creativity, again, was being open, receptive, audience focused but leading us in, in a direction of being able to just find other avenues to help people. That's how I originally was acquainted with your work through Sarah Stein Greenberg yes, exactly. at Stanford, yeah. who wrote the book Creative Acts for yep. Curious People. Yep. And so I approach yep. this topic, your book, your podcast, yep. and I just say your body of work through the lens of creativity yep. as such a valuable, you know, there's, yep. that's what, you know, creative communication or communication is largely a creative. Oh, absolutely. Like you, you can, you know, when people say, well, I will say creativity is everywhere and they'll say, well, what do you mean? I'm like, we're co-creating this conversation right now exactly. because if you, if you said I'm done here, yeah, you can quickly end the conversation, <laughs> yes. right? Just so if you're wondering if you're co-creating something, you just have to think about, can I affect the outcome of what happens next? And right. turns out you are. And so this ability to communicate you know, to, to do so with the flourish, like some of the examples that, that, uh, we've talked about on the show jobs and, yeah. uh, Michelle Obama, for yeah. example, or, or, or there's so many examples that you've given in the book and on, and on the podcast, like that is, it is seductive. There is, and whether it's charisma or this, probably what it really is, is confluence of a little bit of mindset and a lot of practice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. that, that, I think there's room for us all to be able to communicate in our own way too. That's another thing about what I, I was um, inspired by. There's, there's not necessarily um, a prescription that applies to everyone in your work. Right. There's the the variety, the taking things that are interesting to you. You mentioned being curious about yeah. it. So I, I wanted to let you know that I really appreciate how you've approached the work, um, that you've packaged it in a couple of different formats for us to enjoy. And, uh, and I want to say thank you it, before we, before we, uh, I guess call it a show. <laughs> is there anywhere you'd like to direct our audience besides of course the book, think faster, talk smarter podcast we've shared about anything else that you'd like us to know about before we go so that we can support you and your work and learn more. Cause I know there's a lot of communication turns out is pretty popular topic on our show as yeah, well. Yeah, Where yeah. else would you steer us? Yeah. So, well, first and foremost, thank you. I am so glad that Sarah uh, introduced us. Sarah's a, a dear friend and, and her work is really fascinating. Uh, and thank you. Uh, Think Faster, Talk Smarter is the book. Think Fast, Talk Smarter is the podcast. And, and to find me, I'm, I'm a big user of LinkedIn. People on LinkedIn can connect with me and check out my website, mattabrahams.com. Lots of resources there, lots of videos and tips and tricks to help you become more comfortable, confident and compelling speaking, planned or spontaneous. Awesome. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And to everybody out there in the world, I hope that you have taken away a handful of these frameworks Highly recommend the book uh, and the show, of course. It's fun to hear 
y'all talk about this stuff with other so super smart people. That's one of my podcasting. Uh, I just had a long uh, four and a half hour drive yesterday. It was very, very fun to listen to the show. Um, but again, from Matt and myself, I hope today's episode's been super valuable. And uh, until next time, we both bid you adieu. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing the show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together.